The Start On Demand. On demand. If you could go rogue and do whatever you wanted to make driving better in the city of Winnipeg, what would you do? That conversation inspired by Chuck Lewis from Expert Electric, who said, enough is enough, I'm going to put up one of these flashing school zone speed signs on my own because the city was taking too long. He took rogue action to make driving better in the city, so what would you do? Tonight, the Manitoba Moose are retiring the jersey of Jimmy Roy, as Kelly Moore once called him, Mr. April. So we'll speak to him ahead of that momentous occasion, and we'll speak to Winnipeg Jets legend Eddie Olchuk on his new book, He's going to be appearing at McNally Robinson on Sunday. And our friends from the local loungewear brand Zuike have created a special line of clothing for Black History Month. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's back next week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Friday, February 7th podcast for the start. Mackling and McGarry McNabb back next week going rogue. Yesterday, Chuck Lewis, or a couple of days ago, Chuck Lewis of Expert Electric decided to say enough is enough, put up that flashing school zone speed sign in Westwood, and it is Expert Electric. I was looking at that statement from the city that Greg was reading, which said... Um, Mr. Electric. Yeah, that's right. It said, we have been working with Mr. Electric on an agreement, but he used to be Mr. Electric, now Expert Electric. So even in their statement, the city can't get it right. You when you're know? this big, they call you Expert. <laughs> you just Doesn't don't even know who you're talking about <laughs> talking to, do you? <laughs> so we're asking the question, which rogue action would you take to make life easier on Winnipeg streets to help drivers in Winnipeg do the things you wish they did. So Jeff Braun is here, Cam Poitras, and Jeff Fortier. But Greg, why don't you start it off because you had a rather passionate one that you unveiled this morning. Well, because I've seriously contemplated doing this in real life. Uh, Cam, you're from the hood. Uh, my <laughs> new yeah, North hood, Kildonan, North yeah, Kildonan, big, Jeff Forche. That's where you uh, grew up as well. And so since Chief Pegwas Trail came online, I guess it's about eight years ago now, uh, it's really one of the only places in the city where you can genuinely merge. They've got extensive merge lanes, U.S. style, that nice and long. There's no reason for you to ever stop. Drives me crazy. At the merge, either going northbound on Henderson onto Chief or northbound Gateway to get onto Chief Pegwis Trail. I want to stand out there with pamphlets or DVDs <laughs> or a link to a website and people that stop and knock on their window, ask them to roll it down and hand them the pamphlet and go, this is how you merge. This is how you do it property, properly, safely, effectively. You don't need to stop here. Slow down, yes. Gauge your timing, yes. But stopping almost never required unless the person in front of you has decided that they are going to stop. And, you know, they, they, that causes accidents. And I've, I've been in an accident before when somebody has stopped in a yield, and guess what? I get 100% of the it's blame. It's not a yield. It's a merge, and there's a gigantic difference. Well, exactly. But when you're going through it and you stop, and then I'm going to assume that you're going to continue on because you have 
200 feet, if not more, of, of, of space where you can then merge into, uh, into the lane there. And, uh, it, it's, it's, and that's what drives me nuts is that it's, and you, when you talk to, uh, you know, certain people there, officers on, on the, that, that were, was there on the scene and he goes, yeah, I know it's, it's ridiculous. This person was the person that caused the actual accident because they stopped in the middle of a merge lane, uh, for no reason whatsoever. But, uh, yet I'm the one that's going to get a hundred percent of the blame. It's almost like they should have a sign on the merge sign that says speed up, you know? Yes. Yeah, there <laughs> should be stop. some instructions or something on the side. I don't know what the answer is. Don uh, reminds me that now at the perimeter in 59, that beautiful interchange, there's a long acceleration and decelerations lanes there as well. But it's Chief Pegwitch Trail that drives me crazy because so many people don't seem to know how to use that. I'm It's from a, a history of Winnipeg driving where... The, the, there's so many bad drivers, and when it is the yield situation, they're just so nervous, right? Because there's so many other roads where no one will let you in and you have to stop. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good point as well. But yeah, because but people a, are used to not yeah. being let in, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's, that's another thing. That, that's what drives me crazy is like the lack of people not uh, – people will line up on Arlington or on Higgins or wherever, and they will line up in the lane that will eventually go all the way through. And they will sit in that line for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, instead of lining up in the two lanes and then eventually just zipper Zipper. merge and do one and one and one and one. Everybody moves quicker. And it drives me crazy because there's lights in between and there's stop signs and it slows everything down. And everybody would get to where they need to go quicker if they would just zipper merge. But no, we're all just going to sit in the one lane that moves forward. And it drives me bonkers. I must make a point. Yes. This is my lane and I'm not letting you in. (laughs) I must make a point. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, the zipper merger, that's one that, that's another concept that I think is starting to gain. It's starting, It's getting a bit better, yeah. Yeah, but it's going to take years before Winnipeggers fully adopt that. (laughs) What about you, Jeff? I think I know which which way you're going, Jeff uh, Braun. Uh, I I don't, there's not enough street signs in the city, especially, I know in some of the, in really residential areas, it's fine because you're going slow enough anyways that you can look at all four corners until you find the one corner that has the miniature little sign on top that you can maybe see what it says if you've got perfect 2020 vision and you've got time to spare. But in general, there's just, there's so many times where I just go flying, not flying by, just regular driving by and I can't even spot the sign before I've already gone past the intersection when I'm looking for something. And sometimes there's just signs missing. I had a thing last year where I was supposed to, supposed to meet somebody at a restaurant at the corner of Osborne and starts with a G. It's a lady's name. I can't remember what it was. Um, Gertrude? Yeah. And there was no sign and any four of those corners that said Gertrude whatsoever. And I just, I oh, just, I, I looked it up that. on my phone and the map sort of said, well, you're in the right spot, buddy boy. And I saw the restaurant, so I knew I was in the right spot. And even, and then when I came out of the restaurant again, it's like, there's got to be a sign. And nope, didn't say Gertrude anywhere. So if you're driving down Osborne at Gertrude and there is a sign that says Gertrude at this point, please let us know. See, mine, mine was actually going to be signage as well, because my first speeding ticket when I was a brand new driver, you know, I don't know the speed limits. And construction 50. zones. Fifty, unless otherwise yeah, posted, but, Jeff. Yeah, it's on that, the, that's, that's, that's the first. That's, I think it's no, the first that's, line that's in the, the driver's thing, handbook. But that's the thing. I saw an eighty on Bishop Grandin. <laughs> okay. And you know, there's construction zone, but I didn't see any other speed signs, and that's when I got the speeding ticket because it was sixty in construction zone. New driver, but why not cover up the eighty? Have better signage saying sixty. 
you know, Purple. that's that's my rogue, you know. Or the one, or the situation where, and I think Brett and I both got caught in the same spot on Bishop with it, where the construction ends, and then you have to drive like a quarter mile before the 80 sign comes back. And so technically you're supposed to be going 50 or whatever the construction speed is, but there's construction's way behind you, and nobody does it except for there's the one car they're taking pictures of everybody yeah. also it was a saturday no construction yeah. workers no nothing so you know and i was a brand new driver that's yeah. my excuse that was my uh my ex got caught in that uh, about seven or eight years ago i think when they were doing that construction and uh that was just infuriating my thing actually is also in osborne village jeff braun there i would i would fill potholes that the city drags its feet on there is a pothole at osborne and river it is immediately west of the intersection, if you are in the curb lane, or I guess the, the right-hand lane, they're both curb lanes at that point. Uh, so if you're in the right-hand lane, there is a pothole surrounding a manhole cover. And it's been like that for a month. And I tweeted at the city, and they said they've put out a, an yeah. order to get it done. They at least got went down and yanked out the piece of rebar that was sticking out of the ground. But there's this massive pothole, and it's to the point where you have to almost slow down to a complete stop, which is dangerous because yesterday I almost got rear-ended yeah. and the van behind me honked at me, probably didn't understand why I was slowing down until he immediately went dum over this massive pothole. It's been a month, and that is like that is a heavy traffic spot. I don't know what the I problem is. I saw that is. yesterday. I saw that giant pothole yesterday. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's huge. If, if you hit it going fast, you're going to do, you could potentially do some damage to your car. So I don't know why the city is dragging its feet. So I guess I got to get the patented Taco Bell refried beans <laughs> pothole solution. I think we're going out there with the refried beans uh, one of these weekends and we're going to start filling some potholes. With also, it. See on, if it on, works. on Route 90 south of the St. James Bridge, trucks should not be allowed in the left hand lane. Except just for right the before they lane? turn. Just on the right hand side, yeah. I like it. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb back next week. The headline at CJOB.com, frustrated Winnipeg electrician installs flashing school zone lights himself. He went rogue and said, city's dragging their feet, so I'm going to do this myself. So what would you do yourself if you could do whatever you wanted to make driving in Winnipeg better? How would you go rogue? Tons of feedback on this, Greg, on the text line. Yeah, I read you Ken's about the idea of throwing down a spike strip and blowing out the tires of speeders and people don't use their signals. Uh, we had one of our listeners said that it should be legal to do a pit maneuver against <laughs> someone who doesn't use their turn signal. In Winnipeg, does it seem like when you use your signal indicating or your indicator that you're going to change lanes that it for some reason means to the people to the left of you, speed up? It feels like that's yeah. what it indicates. Yes. Here's your permission and your excuse to speed up. Uh, one of our listeners, going back to what Chuck Lewis has done, I'm wondering if the city has been stalling with the installation of these lights because their officials know that the amount of lost rev revenue, which is generated from speed tickets in school zones, will be enormous. Right now, it's very easy to miss a school zone if you're not familiar with the area. Yeah, there's and there is an area that I'm familiar with, and it gets me almost every time. It's in Transcona. It's on Madeline, right off Kildare. If you're turning left off of Kildare or right off Kildare onto Madeline, heading towards John Gunn, because the, the school zone sign is almost immediately as you turn. And uh, so sometimes I blow past it. It's there. I just, it kind of blends into the background. And as I'm passing it, I'm already at 40 kilometers an hour. So then I got to hammer the brakes and hope that I don't get nailed. <laughs> 
something special happening tonight at Bell NTS Place. You got it, Brett. Tonight, the Manitoba Moose will celebrate 20 seasons of hockey in Winnipeg. And, and one of my bad dad jokes when somebody says that they have a wedding anniversary and they'll say, we've been married for 32 years. I always ask, is it in a row, 32 in a year? <laughs> well, 20 years in the case of the Manitoba Moose has not been in a row because, of course, the Manitoba Moose were the St. John's I- Ice Caps for a little while before they came back to Winnipeg a few years ago. The current players will be wearing special jerseys as the AHL in general and the Moose specifically do so well. The Moose will also retire former Moose alternate captain Jimmy Roy's number 21. Roy spent all nine of his North American professional hockey seasons with the Moose. And Kelly Moore, Brett McGarry dug up this gem from Kelly. He had a special name for Jimmy Roy. Moji shall hammer it back in. And a Brandon Smith after it there. Hopped off his stick. Here's a chance in front. They score! Mr. April does it again. Jimmy Roy, 2-1, Manitoba. May 11th, 2005. Dug that clip out of a montage I'd put together when I was filling in for Bob Irving doing the morning sports that day. That was game four of the AHL's North Division final in the Calder Cup playoffs. Manitoba beat the Rochester Americans 2-1, and they went on to win the series four games to one. From Sioux Lookout, Ontario, the director of player development for the Winnipeg Jets, Jimmy Roy joins us now from 201 Portage. Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning, guys. Do you remember that goal? Uh, yes, I do. Now that uh, after hearing Kelly uh, <laughs> Kelly announce it and stuff, and, and you guys talk about where it was, I do remember it. A very uh, special uh, time. That season was a very special time uh, for the Manitoba Moose. Perhaps the most special time in your uh, career, Jimmy. Uh, yeah, you know what? There's a lot of good memories that I have um, playing with the Moose. Um, you know, right from the, the 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 first day that I had signed in the old Winnipeg Arena in the picture of the Queen and. Um, you know, um, the people that I played with is probably the most memorable. I, I keep getting this question, you know, what's your favorite moment and stuff like that. And there is some on ice stuff that, um, that was really special, um, with some, you know, some, some cool goals and, uh, some stuff to be a part of. But I think probably the, the biggest and best memories I have are, are some of the people that I've, I've played with and worked with, um, you know, like Craig Heisinger and, 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 and Mark and Patty Chipman, um, you know, that I work with, but then players like Brian Chapman and Randy Gill and Scott O'Neill, um, you know, like those, those type of players that teach you how to be a pro and teach you what it's like, how you treat people with respect and leadership and all kinds of things that you, you learn from just watching them. It was, it, it's really neat to be a part of. It, it must be heartening when you mention all those people and to see where some of those people have gone in hockey themselves. I, I think there's such a, a quest for professional organization sport and otherwise to hire genuinely good people. And I know that's a motto in the Winnipeg Jets organization. Uh, it sounds like Mark Chipman has been hiring quality people for a long time. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. I think um, without the people um, that we have working here or even, you know, you go back to the, to the original Moose when they – uh, first started out, you know, guys like Jeff Major, Scott Brown was here, Matt Frost, um, you know, uh, Andrew Patterson. Like there was some some really good people that worked here right until now with guys like Brad Andrews and, um, you know, people that have a heart and soul for, for hockey and, and love the Manitoba Moose and, and Winnipeg Jets and stuff like that. Um, it's it, it really is a tribute to Mr. Chipman and his whole family. Did the proximity of Sioux Lookout in relation to Winnipeg almost feel like playing at home? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, I, I, 
uh, I played with the national team the year before, after I'd left school, and and um, we played some exhibition games against uh, the Manitoba Moose the first year um, when I was playing with the national team, national team. We came back here and played those, and then had the opportunity to sign here after that. And it was like uh, like I was coming back home, you know, being able to have my family come in as much as they did, and you know, my brother was going to school here at the U of M the first few years, and we lived together. Um, so it. it it was like a, this city has, has been like a huge family for me. So do you ever imagine, I know when we're playing street hockey and when you're playing pickup games, you, you imagine scoring the Stanley Cup winning goal. Uh, you may even take a moment to imagine what it might be like to get inducted to the Hockey Hall of Fame. But the idea of having your number raised to the rafters, I, I think that's reserved for such a few, such a small number of yeah. players, Jimmy. Are, are, have, you, have you thought about what it's going to be like tonight? Um, yes, uh, I'm going to be very emotional. <laughs> it's the way it is. I'm sorry, but, um, I'm, I am right now just thinking about it because it's, it's, uh, you don't, as a kid growing up, everything you just talked about, that's what you think about. You never think about your Jersey getting or your number getting retired or, or whatever. But with that said, you know what? It is, it is my name and, and my number up there, but it's not, it means so much more the people, the work that have gone into to that happening, like I mentioned before, the players that taught me how to be a pro, um, you know, the, the the fans and the people of this city that allowed me to become, you know, what I was, and 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 it's my parents, um, my brother, all kinds of things like that. That's a special part. During the 2002-2003 season, you were named a the AHL's Man of the Year in recognition for your involvement in the community. You're also the recipient of the Moose Community Man of the Year Award on three occasions. Why is it so important to you to get involved in the community? Um, I just think it's it's good to get a voice out there to have, um, you know, players, um, young children see players that, you know, you can achieve your goals, you can achieve your dreams. I was just a small kid from, from you know, northern Ontario. I never got to play in the NHL. Um but this city made me feel like I was playing in the NHL, the fans and, and, and the people. Um, and that was special. And I wouldn't change it for a thing. I think that's, that's the message. That's what you need to get out and, and try and explain to people that if you love what you're doing and you enjoy what you're doing, that's the most important thing in the world. You never know when you're going to inspire someone, Jimmy. My favorite John Montgomery story, the gold medalist from yeah. Vancouver and Skeleton, was when Theron Fleury came home to Russell for a visit one time, and John looked at Theo and went, boy, if this guy can be a pro athlete, I can be, because Theo's uh, so small in stature, 5'6", five, 5'7", five, yeah. and it genuinely gave John the red light to pursue his dream. So you just never know what's going to click for a young person and give them permission to take their dreams to the next level. You know what? 1000%. And it's sometimes it's just that interaction to, to shake a hand or, or give somebody a smile or say, Hey, how's your day going? What's going on? You know, and, and, um, to talk hockey or which is all I really know how to talk about. But, um, you, you spend that time with them, just that moment to spend time with them to, and they know, Hey, this is, you know, you're a real person and, and, Sometimes I think all the the, the TV and uh, the glamour and stuff like that it gets it gets lost that you know they put athletes and people way up on a huge pedestal but they're just they're just people and they're going out and doing the best that they can and and that's what you want kids to see. You yeah. played 17 years <laughs> of hockey. Uh, you wrapped your career with five years in Germany with the Iserlohn Roosters in the Deutsche yeah. Ice Hockey Liga. Did I say yeah. that all correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What do you credit your longevity to? Um. I think uh, probably, 
you know what? I, I trained hard in, 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 in the off season. Um, off ice training when I first started playing pro ho- or playing hockey and went to college, off ice training was starting to become big and starting to become, um, what more and more people were doing. And I kind of got into it and I spent a lot of time in the gym in the off season. And, and, um, I was, I probably worked out. I was probably a better guy that worked out than I was a player, but <laughs> I trained hard and that's probably part of the reason. Plus, um, I had some good people in my corner that, that, uh, you know, that helped me get where I was. Craig Heisinger, um, Karsten Mendena, who was the GM of the team that I played for in, in Israel, who I still have a great relationship with. Um, there was just some, some good people, I think, that, that helped me along the way. Well, work ethic goes an awful long way. And, you know, I don't need to uh, point out your scoring statistics, but just for, for reference, it's not like you, you lit the league on fire with regards no. to to your scoring touch. Uh, it was just the fact that you were always there for your teammates. You stood up for your teammates and, and you brought it every single night. Congratulations, Jimmy. Thank you so much uh, for what you've done for hockey in Manitoba. So glad that you're with the Jets organization. Enjoy tonight. Uh, much deserved. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. The tea party. Shempshation, as one local disc jockey used to say. One more time? He used to, <laughs> he used to say the Tea Party Temptation or Shemshation. Shemshation. That kind of sounds like that at one point of the song. Yeah. <laughs> the Tea Party is going to be one of four bands playing at Bell MTS Place July 8th. Saints and Sinners 2020. Big Wreck. Headstones, Moist, and the Tea Party. And we have two tickets up for grabs right now. And today's trivia question has nothing to do with the show. We just found some Hal Anderson tough trivia-esque kind of trivia. So I don't want to don't want to steal the name. Tough trivia is Hal. So we're just inspired by him for this one. And Difficult two, trivia. And at two of... <laughs> <laughs> is that different enough? Yeah, it's not easy. Shemshation trivia. Well, hopefully it's not easy. So let's try 204-780-6868. Here's the question with Valentine's Day coming up next week. Mm. Figured this was apropos. According to a new survey, 30% of singles refuse to date someone who has one of these. James. Uh, child. I don't know. It's a good guess, but uh, that's not the answer. Hey, Cheryl, do you know the answer? Um, a card? No. No, you're kind of, well, I know, I, I don't want to say anything. You do want to, but you won't. Gary, the question, according to a new survey, 30% of singles refuse to date someone who has one of these. What is it? Uh, a significant other? <laughs> 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 Only 30%. <laughs> uh, no, that's not the answer, Gary. Sorry, buddy. All right. No get Gary on the line in case uh, that's the best answer that we get. <laughs> um, let's try Steve. Hey, Steve, how are you? Good. Is it a flip phone? A flip phone? Yep. No, that's not the answer. Why a flip phone? Well, who wants to date somebody with a flip phone? Come on. <laughs> I don't know, man. I miss the satisfying clack of closing the flip phone. Yeah, the lack of distraction, the things that you couldn't do on it was probably its best feature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I, agree. I, mean, I guess if you I guess if you're in your fifties or sixties you'd be okay, but I wouldn't want to do something with a flip phone. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know, they're coming back, Steve. They're making these foldable phones now with touch screens. So, uh, it, yeah. it, it, it's well, whatever makes it feel better. All right. Well, hey, good guess, Steve. <laughs> Thanks for playing, man. I like the rationale behind the answer. Yeah. Uh, let's try Jason at 204 780 Hey, Jason, how are you? Good, Brett. How are you? Good. Do you know the answer? How about a, how about a cat? It is a cat. That would have been my guess. Yeah, that was yes, your guess? Yes. And I was going to say, I almost said you were close because she said a car. Oh, so, aha. Uh-huh. Uh, so close she was, in a different way. She was two letters off <laughs> in the alphabet. So, Jason, congratulations nice. to you, sir. Stand by. Going to put you on hold. Forte is going to get your details off the air. 30% of singles refuse to date someone who has a cat. And I can tell you that uh, I've had three long-term relationships in my life. All three of them had cats, and I am allergic to cats. And in my last relationship, I had to take antihistamine, like Claritin, every day. I had a prescription nasal spray. I had uh, asthma puffer, and I took asthma pills. I had to take all this stuff, this cacophony, this potpourri of medication to endure the allergies because I love cats. I love cats. I, they, I, I like when a cat comes and sits on my lap. It's so relaxing, but I'm allergic. You are such a better person than I am. Well, the things we do for love, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That'd be a line too far for me. Yeah. Sorry, if I was allergic, I'm not going through all of that. Well, there is. You'd a- have to be pretty awesome for me to go to all now i'm lucky i'm not allergic to dogs or cats yeah so i wouldn't have to make that consideration but i bow to you 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 are you are a grade a human being well i remember back in like 2008 i was dating this girl and then we stopped and then we started again and she had moved into a new place and when i went to her new place the first time uh around the corner comes a cat which she didn't have before and it was a choose your own adventure moment it was like an immediate fork on the road and i thought do i stay or do i flee i genuinely thought about it. I'm like oh my god she got a cat this mm-hmm. this screws everything up mm-hmm. but i stayed and, and uh, in retrospect oh it was a good ride it was a good run yeah, yeah. <laughs> good run yeah yeah i didn't run away what's uh, that jim carrey movie yes man yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think he has a movie called Yes Man. Yes Man, yes. yes. <laughs> he says yes to everything. It eventually gets him in trouble. <laughs> so congratulations to you, Jason, and thanks to everybody for playing along this week, Saints and Sinners. Greg, I know you are very excited to have a conversation with the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, I would go with that. Our next guest was a Winnipeg Jet twice in his National Hockey League career. Among his numerous achievements, he was drafted by and played for his hometown team, played for one of the most storied franchises in sports history, and was a part of ending a decades-long Stanley Cup drought in New York City. Eddie Olchuk is an Emmy Award-winning television commentator for the NHL and horse racing. He played center for 16 seasons with the Blackhawks, Penguins, Maple Leafs, Rangers, and Kings. He also served as the Penguins head coach from 2003 to 2005. The Winnipeg Jets 1.0 era ended during Olchuk's second go-round with the Jets, and he may be most famous in these parts for this. Wherever this team ends up, and when this team wins the Stanley Cup, it's coming back to Winnipeg! He isn't here yet, but as always, Eddie, welcome back to Winnipeg, and welcome back to CJOB. (laughs) 
Oh, uh, good morning, guys. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I still, I still get chills when I hear that, and uh, I hear that quite often from some of my former teammates who just call me on the phone and they play that little clip for me, so uh, just to get a little rise out of me. But it's uh, it's always great to be on in the peg and uh, looking forward to getting there this weekend uh, for a couple of different reasons, but uh, I appreciate you guys having me on today. Well, thank you for this. You've always been so gracious and kind about your time in Winnipeg and good to us here in Winnipeg. And you know, I know you've said it lots of times and, and shared stories, but but what is it ab- about the city that resonates with, with you and, and your wife uh, all these years later? Well, I think it's the people. Uh, it's you know, the, the Winnipeg uh, accepted us, uh, Jets fans accepted us, and uh, a, a, a small town with uh, huge hearts and a huge hockey fan base. And uh, I, I relish that of, of representing a team, uh, representing the, you know, the community. Uh, you know, we, you become a part of the fabric of the community. You become entrenched in it. You uh, you know, you want to represent everybody as well as you can. Look, you want to win every game. You want to win the Stanley Cup, but you know, you, you, you have to carry yourself in a certain way. And I think that, you know, we tried to do that the two different times that, uh, you know, our family was there and look, we lived in the peg for 11 months out of the year. You know, we, we would go home and, and visit my, my wife's family and then my family, but you know, we were there all year round and, you just become entrenched, but I just think it's about the people. And I, I always knew, even back in 96, even when the team left, uh, I always knew that, uh, you know, the city of Winnipeg and in, in, in the province of Manitoba was always an NHL uh, home, always an NHL place. Um, just unfortunately, the economics at that time didn't work out. But Mr. Thompson and uh, Mr. Chipman have done an amazing job with the leadership of Chevy and Zinger, and, uh, and, and obviously recently Mo Paul Maurice has done an amazing job. That uh, this team is back in a big way, but I just again I long-winded. I think it's about the people and, and how they treated me, and uh, hopefully they feel the same way about me as, as I do of them because uh, it was uh, it was a great time playing and representing the city of Winnipeg. This book, Beating the Odds in Hockey and in Life, has some great stories about Winnipeg. I'm going to ask you about one in particular in a moment. But mm-hmm. when you came back, when you came back for the Heritage Classic and to, to play on the ice yeah. with with that that yeah. team that that transcended generations of hockey in Winnipeg and to celebrate hockey, not just your era, Eddie, but but the the teams before you and the teams that that came subsequent yeah. to you uh, had to be super yeah. special. Anybody, any of the former players I speak to, just just rave about that weekend. Well, the Jets did an amazing job, and and, and and not surprised about that. I was thrilled to get asked to be back. Uh, I was thankful that I was able to get off my uh, commitments of uh, my 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 job now of uh, television television broadcaster down here in the states, not only for NBC nationally, but also doing the local games for the Blackhawks. So very thankful that they would give me the weekend off to be able to make it a weekend in in Winnipeg and see. A lot of familiar faces and, uh, you know, uh, guys still acting the same way in the locker room and then getting a chance to interact with, you know, with guys that either I got traded for, like a guy like Dave Ellett or, uh, you know, guys that I watched, uh, you know, maybe as a, as a, a young kid, uh, you know, playing for the Jets. Um, so it, it was 
it was just an amazing experience and uh, the great reception that we had both, you know, in the community and at the, at the game was just great. And, uh, you know, I know, I know the, uh, you know, there's probably one. I mean, you know what? Timo Solani probably could still play in the league right now. He probably <laughs> could get somebody 20 goals. I don't know. I don't know if Chevy and Zinger and Moe are looking for another 20 goal scorer, but I think that uh, Solani probably could go out there and and get the job done. But it was a lot of fun putting that sweater on again, and very thankful that uh, that they asked me to come back and play. Now, Eddie, horse racing is a huge part of your life. Um, yeah. Do we have this right? Did you take a trip to Grand Forks? to bet on one of your own horses? <laughs> yes, I did. It happened to be during training camp. Uh, forget what year it was, but, uh, you know, we, at that time, uh, one of my, uh, one of my local stomping grounds out there, Assiniboia Downs wasn't taking simulcasting. They weren't taking a particular racetrack where my horse was running. It happened to be in Chicago and my buddy, Double D, Darren Dunn, who's uh, the big man out there at Assiniboia Downs, Double D said, hey, you know, you can drive a few hours and get across the border there. And, you know, they're taking wagers over there. So uh, I made a little jaunt uh, in the car <laughs> and uh, ended up, uh, I think, breaking the bank there uh, because they didn't have any money to pay me when my horse won. So I had to get a couple of IOUs. And I think I sent a couple of trainers down uh, a day or two later so that they could uh, get my payment. And I distributed a few bucks to uh, a few teammates and a couple of coaches and a trainer or two. And uh, it was a profitable day. So things have changed in the world of horse racing. All you got to do is uh, just head over to uh, head over to the downs and uh, and get your feet wet. Now you don't have to be traveling three hours to, uh, to make a big score. So one of our listeners asked us to ask you, Eddie, if you had a horse, eat out of the Stanley Cup when you won it with the Rangers? Well, here's what happened. In 1994, uh, we won the Cup, and uh, I got my 36 hours with the Cup. And, uh, you know, my passion uh, outside of the, the greatest game in the world in hockey is, is horse racing. And the people in New York, uh, the horse that won the Kentucky Derby that year, Gopher Gin, was based out of New York. And uh, Nick Zito, famous Hall of Fame trainer, uh, was so kind enough to uh, invite us to his barn and uh, to get a picture uh, with Gopher Jim. So I thought, well, look, you know, I've heard the stories and I've seen the pictures and I'm like, well, you know, how how could I make this really special? So what we did was is we inserted a few carrots, a little bit of hay inside the uh, the top of the Stanley Cup. And then uh, we, uh, you know, we, we dumped it out and there was a little bit of residue in there and we did a little bait and switch with Gopher Jim and, uh, he went right for the bait, and we took the picture, and that picture sits proudly on my desk at home. And uh, uh, to have the Stanley Cup and the Kentucky Derby winner picture, uh, that to me, uh, that's a real special moment. So technically, no, um, but, you know, might have been a few oats in there to, to give the Kentucky Derby winner a little taste out of the Stanley Cup. So let me just say this. There's been a lot worse in the Stanley Cup than the Kentucky Derby's uh, Kentucky Derby's winner's mouth in the Stanley Cup. That I know for sure. There is a picture of this event happening in the book, Beating the Odds in Hockey and in Life. And uh, we only have a couple of minutes left here, but we have to ask you about how life changed for you on August 4th, 2017. Yeah, that's when I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. And, uh, you know, I was a relatively healthy guy up until that point. And next thing you know, a couple of days prior to that, I couldn't go to the bathroom. Uh, I actually had a colonoscopy set up for a couple of months later. And next thing you know, I'm having a six-hour surgery. 
I think uh, 14 inches of my colon removed and a tumor the size of my fist, and them telling me uh, on that day at 7.07 p.m. of August the 4th of 17 that I had stage 3 colon cancer, and they were recommending six months of chemo. And the first thing I thought of was, well, how long do I have to live? Um, and very scared, and, you know, how do I tell my kids? My wife was there with me every step of the way, and it was just one of those things where my life came to a, a, a screeching halt, and uh, it was a battle, and I think the – the spirit of the book and I think me deciding to write the book was when I got sick is that if I can help one person get through a battle in their life to inspire them to get through the day to tell them and be transparent and be as honest as I could in the book then it was well worth the 16 months of paper for me to uh, to write this book and to tell my story and I think the book is for hockey fans it's for horse racing fans I think it's for people that have been touched by the horrible disease of cancer or just anybody that uh, uh, has, you know, had a few potholes in their life. I mean, life's a battlefield. It's not easy. And if I can help one person or change how they look at something, then it was well worth the effort of, of doing the book. I'm very proud of it. And I'm looking forward to getting to the peg on Sunday for my book signing. And uh, then I get the double header that day. I get to go from the book signing um, over at Grant Park, McNally's Robinson Booksellers, and then go over to, the arena and see the Jets take on the Blackhawks for one of those great six o'clock starts. So it's going to be a full day, but I'm looking forward to uh, meeting and saying hi to a lot of Jet fans. And hopefully people will be inspired by the book and uh, hopefully they'll laugh and love a little bit more after they read it. And if that's the case, then, uh, then it was well worth the effort. Eddie, hockey fans in this town absolutely love you. And uh, just you've always been wonderful to deal with in this world, in the radio and the media world. Whenever we've reached out, you've been always so uh, giving of your time. But uh, our paths crossed in 1990. I used to be a waiter at Olive Garden by Polo Park and you used to come in there with Mike Eagles every once in a while. And you were always yeah. so nice to everybody. So I'm glad that that was the, the real you, uh, Eddie. Thanks for everything. Thanks for all the memories man uh, thank thank you so much and i know that uh, mike eagles must have been in there for the free breadsticks that's the only reason he could have been in there with me so uh, <laughs> i i appreciate the kind words and i'm looking forward to uh looking forward to uh getting back to the peg and uh, anytime you guys need anything i uh, look forward to talking some hockey with you down the road so i appreciate it and uh have a wonderful weekend thanks thank you eddie Olchuk. February is Black History Month, and in studio with us, we got a couple of guys who have found a unique way to honor this special time of year. A couple of weeks back, we met the creators of Zuike, a local loungewear brand, and they've launched a special edition of apparel for Black History Month. Brian Salvador and Ogo Okamabua are the creators of Zuike, and they are back in studio with us today. Gentlemen, good morning to you. Good, good morning. How are you good fellas? morning. Thanks for having us back. So for those who missed... Your segment last time you were here. Uh, maybe just give us a quick refresher, uh, Brian, on what does Zuike mean? Zuike is uh, uh, in our Igbo dialect, uh, Nigerian uh, background, and it means to relax. So we wanted to uh, create a brand that was something that we love to do, which is relax. And again, we're both from our Nigerian descent, and we felt it was very fitting. Invest in rest. Invest in rest, you <laughs> betcha. Very important. Most important part of uh, sports is recovery. 
So, yeah, or any life, part of life is, uh, is recovery. So It's underappreciated and, and underpracticed, mm-hmm. I think. You know, I, I think some people get uh, a bad uh, knock for, for not doing a lot of stuff, but I think our lives are busier than ever. And I know when I've had my jeans on all day and I've got a belt on and a dress shirt or something, there's nothing like going home and actually changing into what some people would affectionately refer to as loungewear, like for watching TV. So you guys are all over this. All over it. Love it. Fantastic. mm -hmm. So Black History Month, we're wearing them. You guys brought in some T-shirts for us, and thank you so much for that. So how did you decide to mark Black History Month, Ogle? So uh, we we decided that, hey, you know, it's a wonderful month that kind of celebrates some achievements within black culture in North America. And... um, our campaign is actually be history. So the idea behind the whole ca- campaign is not necessarily about, you know, just black black culture, but in, in terms of you leaving your mark on society. Uh, be history. There was many great people amongst us that have uh, left their mark and maybe not have, were never celebrated due to the era of time or whatever it might have been. But um, it's a great way that we can kind of celebrate being history, being a part of history, achieving your goals, or or doing things that are right for overall general society. That's really kind of where it comes 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 down to. So, we decided that hey, you know what, we're going to come up with a nice, beautiful Be History campaign, and we will honor uh, in this year's uh, Be History campaign. We we call it Keep Going, and um, it's a, a tribute to Harriet Tubman, which was was a lady that emancipated a lot of slaves uh, back in the day, and. Uh, she risked her own freedom so that other people could could enjoy freedom, and she was a lady that got right into the into the mix and and was was fighting with uh, alongside many other uh, uh, civilians to to release people. And I mean, how can you not stand by or celebrate a lady that uh, would risk her own freedom so that other like people can can live equally as everybody else, so, and well, free. And that's a message that transcends race, it transcends culture, any boundaries uh, that we inevitably set up for ourselves. And is that is the next step in this, Brian, in terms of uh, connecting the way we do is to, you know, you hear it all the time, I don't see color. Well, okay, then you're blind because it's obvious <laughs> yeah. that there are, are two white dudes and two black dudes <laughs> in the studio today, and we have adult, different cultural relations, but the stuff that brings us together, that list is way longer than the stuff that separates us. Uh, absolutely. And as Ogo just pointed, we wanted we wanted to create something inclusive. And I have a lot of my friends, a lot of white friends are like, oh, can I wear that? And I was like, absolutely. And that's maybe kind of the problem that you need to ask that. Like, I, I want we want everybody to feel comfortable wearing it um, and just spread the message of uh, being history. And creating your own history, no matter your background, your culture, your race. Well, and I'm glad you you said that that your friends were asking you that, uh, because Ogoa and Brian, I was going to ask you guys: Is it weird for a couple of white dudes to wear Black History Month stuff? And he said that it it the fact that we have to ask this is a problem. So, or is part of the problem, I guess, with what's going on in the world today. So, how do you think we change that? So it's so I I don't feel like I have to ask these questions. I think it's uh, I think it's a weird thing to say, but Winnipeg's a really unique kind of mesh meshing pot compared to many other places you know, I've ever been to in the world. And, and you can go to an Earl's, you can go to any restaurant, and you can see a, a table like this right now and, and say, hey, you know what? There's black guys and there's white guys and there's Filipinos and there's East Indians sitting down and they're having a conversation. And it's no big deal. 
But you can go literally, you know, two hours, eight hours down south, or you can go anywhere else sometimes in, in, in our own wonderful country and notice that, hey, it's a lot more segmented. Only the black people hang out with the black people. And, and the idea is that, you know, we shouldn't see that the Freedom Fist wasn't just for black people. It's about, you know, equality. It's anyone it, who, who is oppressed is oppressed. Right. And, and if if you um, if a different race is being oppressed, um, the idea is that we want equality for all. We want we want the ability to be treated on the same level for for no matter what, you know, and I'm not blind. I know that color. I see a person. I see they're white. I see they're East Indian, but it shouldn't matter to me. Right? I don't want to get to know them. And the more that we interact with different cultures and different people, you start to realize that they're so we're, – we're, we're all the same. You really – I mean, as cheesy as that times you kind of say it or whatever, but you start to say, we have some of the same interests. You know, you know he's black, but – he loves, you know, Led Zeppelin or he loves so-and-so. Just because I'm black, it doesn't mean I just like 50 Cent or I just like, you know, <laughs> black, black music, right? So um, I have so many different things. And, and it's neat to say that, hey, I grew up in South St. Mattel. At, at one point, I was probably one of five black people in my school at the time, right? And now you go and look at the demographic, it's so different. And, and, and it's great because my friends don't see me as, oh, you know, there's black Ogo, right? There's just <laughs> Ogo, you know, there's Ogo and, you know, he's cool and he's different. And, you know, he, he might not be the same as this other black guy that I've met and, and, and which is normal, right? And that's what you're supposed to see. You know, I, I like him for him and maybe I don't like him because, you know, just not because he's black, but because he's just different. You know, it doesn't work with me. I love the fact that you, you references this idea of how different Winnipeg is on that front. I, I grew up going to Daniel Mack and so mm-hmm. I was on the other side of it for, right. for, for in my group of mm-hmm. friends, I was the only white guy. Right. And uh, I didn't see myself that way, but it, it opened me to such incredible uh, the food, not so much because I'm a picky eater, <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the different cultural experiences when we go to every, one another's homes and to, mm-hmm. to realize uh, the way it was with respect to e- either respect for mom and respect for mom and dad or, mm-hmm. or for your siblings and, and the way things worked within a family structure, it was different than mine. And right. I learned a lot. And I think it's just that idea of just, hey, let's just go with the flow here. You bet. Because far too many stop, we stop ourselves, we mm. prevent ourselves from opening ourselves out to what might be the best opportunity and experience of your life. You bet. I mean, you find that it's nothing wrong with it. It's just different. You know what yeah. I mean? Every, every household is different. And you guys could be raised, we could have been raised exact same way. In the, in the same household, me and my siblings all have something that's a little bit different. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you, but you start to realize, yeah, okay, they just do something a little bit different. We probably want the exact same goal. We want the same same things, but we, we're just maybe going about it a little bit differently. So, yeah, so, I mean, our campaign is definitely about, you know, equality, but, you know, everybody uni- unite and, and enjoy themselves and not feel that, hey, it's only for black people for Black History Month. It's, it's just a celebration of some of the great people in our, in our past, and, and there's nothing wrong with a, a Filipino, a white person, a black person, or anybody to, uh, to celebrate that. So, Brian, have you ever dealt with racism in your life? <coughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I grew up in uh, two hours away in Brandon, Manitoba. And as Ogle mentioned, he, he's, there's maybe five black people in his high school. Well, myself, I think there was 
two black families in, in Brandon, the Salvadors and the Adonijes growing up. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty laid back, easygoing guy, but I definitely dealt with it in, in high schools and, and just at the park down the street. And I think it definitely made me a better person. And I think maybe that's why when I say it, when my friends ask me, I think I'm just growing up basically uh, in a white community. I was just used to it. So the fact that they need to ask me, I'm just like, well, why? Like it's, we're, we're past that. But I think that's just how I was brought up. And again, dealing with it as, as a child, obviously uh, made me see it <laughs> a lot sooner. And, but yeah, it's something I dealt with, but it wasn't, uh, back then it wasn't, uh, I didn't understand it at first. And, but I definitely noticed I, I was different <laughs> than everybody else. But, yeah, I dealt with it. And uh, t- growing up, after leaving Brandon and moving to the city, you still see it all around. But, again, uh, I hear it. I see it. But it doesn't it doesn't affect me and it doesn't bother me. It's interesting that uh, you mentioned those two family names because, obviously, Bryce, yeah. your brother, <laughs> right? Absolutely. played in the National Hockey League yeah. and Israel Adonage played in the National Football League. So two families that might have at, at some point in their existence in Brandon might have felt like outsiders are some of the people that in Brandon, Manitoba look back at now and go, hey, they're from Brandon, they're from Brandon. And that's how quickly and easily the tide can change sometimes. Uh, mm. Absolutely. Well, you can go to Zuike.com to check out their line of apparel. It's spelled Z-U-E-I-K-E.com. They've got limited edition Harriet Tubman men's and ladies t-shirts, limited quantities for those. The, the, those ones are super nice, by the way. Uh, the logo, the artwork on that. Who did the artwork on that, by we the We commissioned way, an actual artist from Ghana. Really? So, yeah, the guy by the name of his Mind, Mind of L. So we commissioned an artist from Ghana. Uh, through your Instagram scrolling, at times you can find different people, and I just found an artist that I thought was really cool. So I reached out to him, and uh, he uh, was willing to kind of step up and help us out with this kind of project. So I, he's a magnificent uh, artist, and we love, as you guys have we've mentioned before, kind of collaborations with other people and in different areas. So, I mean, this was our farthest outside reach so far, So, but it was, uh, it was he did a great job. So Yeah, it was pretty it was neat because if you, if you look at the image, the the brick in behind and it kind of spells ht and then it kind of kind of oh yeah kind of shows like the railroad like the the underground railroad how it the darkness that kind of cuts out the h and the t so wow that is beautiful so you can celebrate black history month by wearing it courtesy of zawike go to zawike.com to have a look at the lineup Brian Salvador and Ogo Okumabua, the creators of Zuike. Thank you guys for coming back to see us. Thanks very, very much. much. Appreciate Love to it. see you guys again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.